United States against E.C. Knight, 1895. These are the facts. In 1890, Congress passed the Sherman Act. Essentially, the law gave the government the power to regulate and control business, which obstructed the free flow of interstate commerce in the United States. But while the intent of the act was clear on the surface, semantic problems cluttered its path. What, in fact, was interstate commerce? It remained to the Supreme Court to bring the generalities of the act down to workable specifics. The Sugar Trust case, United States against E.C. Knight, was the first real test of strength of the Sherman Act. The American Sugar Refining Company had bought the stocks of four smaller refining companies. The purchase gave American Sugar control of 98% of all sugar manufactured in the country. All agreed that this control was a monopoly. But this in itself was not a violation of the Sherman Act. For the monopoly could be outlawed only if it proved to restrain the trade and commerce of the United States. So the questions for the court to decide were two. First, under the Sherman Act, what was interstate commerce? And secondly, did the activities of the Sugar Trusts fall within this definition? Since the conflicting points of view in this case are so clearly developed in the majority opinion of Chief Justice Fuller and the dissenting opinion of Mr. Justice Harlan, arguments of counsel are omitted. The Opinion of the Court by Chief Justice Fuller Undoubtedly, Congress has the power to regulate commerce. But that federal power, misinterpreted and misused, will prove the destruction of our federal system. Slight reflection will show that if the national power extends to all industries, whose ultimate results will affect external commerce, comparatively little of business operations would be left for state control. Does not the wheat grower of the Northwest or the cotton planter of the South plant, cultivate, and harvest his crop with an eye on the prices in Liverpool, New York, and Chicago? The power vested in Congress and denied to the states, it would follow as an inevitable result that the duty would devolve on Congress to regulate all of these delicate, multiform, and vital interests. Interests which in their nature are and must be local in all the details of their successful management. Clearly, these are primarily the interests of the states. Congress passed the Sherman Act in light of these well-settled principles. It did not attempt to assert power over corporations doing business within the boundaries of a single state, but rather to exercise control over those corporations whose primary trade and concern was in interstate commerce. There must be a point of time when corporations cease to be governed exclusively by state law and begin to be governed and protected by the national law. It seems to me that that moment arises when the article or product in question begins its final movement from the state of its origin to that of its destination. To control the manufacture of a thing is, in a certain sense, to control its disposition. Nevertheless, it is a secondary and not a primary sense. Although the exercise of that control may bring the operation of commerce into play 
It does not control it and affects it only incidentally and indirectly. It follows, therefore, that commerce succeeds to manufacture and is not a part of it. In the case before us, the contracts and acts of the defendants related exclusively to the acquisition of the Philadelphia refineries and the business of sugar refining in Pennsylvania. It bore no direct relation to commerce between the states or with foreign nations. The object was manifestly private gain in the manufacture of the commodity, but not through the control of interstate or foreign commerce. There is no indication that this manufacture put a restraint on trade or commerce, except indirectly. This indirect restraint is not a violation of the Sherman Act. A dissenting opinion by Mr. Justice Harlan. Without the states in the Union, this court has said there could be no such political body as the United States. But it is equally true that the preservation of the just authority of the general government is essential as well to the safety of the United States as to the attainment of the important ends for which that government was ordained. The destruction of that authority would be fatal to the peace and well-being of the American people. The Constitution, whose objects of interest are for all the people, should not, therefore, be subjected to an interpretation so rigid, technical, and narrow that those objects cannot be accomplished. What is commerce among the states? Commerce, undoubtedly, is traffic, but it is more. It is intercourse. Commerce, as the word is used in the Constitution, is a unit and cannot stop at the external boundary of each state, but may be introduced into the interior. One of the primary objects of the Constitution was to place commerce among the states under the control of the common government of all the people. The American Sugar Refining Company is a combination which manufactures solely with the intent to sell its products across state boundaries. If it be true that this combination may subject interstate trade in any of its stages to unlawful restraints, the conclusion is inevitable that the Constitution has failed in its objective. I insist that the free course of trade among the states cannot coexist with such combinations. If this be not a sound interpretation to the Constitution, it is easy to perceive that interstate traffic may pass under the absolute control of overshadowing combinations, combinations governed entirely by the law of greed and selfishness, so powerful that no single state is able to overthrow them and so pervading that they threaten the integrity of our institutions. <laughs>